with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. Our stories include: Eurozone inflation hits record high of 7.5 percent in March. Why is it? And Twitter names Elon Musk to its board. And now let's begin with our top story. The annual inflation in the eurozone in March hit a record high of 7.5 percent, up from 5.9 percent in the previous months. Analysts say, with the energy crisis and geopolitical conflict in the region still unsolved, inflation in the EU is set to go even higher in the coming months. So, what are some of the main reasons for the EU high inflation, and which countries will be hit most hardly? For more on this, join us on the line now, our Winston Wang and. Investor and former diplomat, and also Ina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, good evening, gentlemen. Welcome to our show. Good evening, Justine. Good evening. So, Winston, first of all, the、uh, consumer prices in the eurozone rose by a record high of seven point five percent in March. What do you make of the、uh, main reasons behind such a high inflation? Well, it's not surprising. You know, we are in the Uh, one of the major global pandemic that disrupted a lot of the supply chains, and at the same time, compounding on that,、uh, we are having a major land war, probably the largest ever since the Second World War Two,、uh, on the land of Europe. That again disrupted a lot of the things. So all these things adding together, and it's not surprising that we are seeing the、uh, eurozone's、uh, prices rose. More than you know, close to seven point five percent. You have the food problem, you have the energy problem, you have、uh, chips problem. You know everything almost like in chaos. We are going through a very volatile and dangerous period of time.、Mm, so, Ina, it's not surprising, but what does it mean for the individual consumers and also different economies? Well, it's it's not terribly.、Uh... Positive. I, I like to be positive, as as you know. But right now, if you start looking at growth rates and inflation rates, inflation is higher than growth.、Uh, they've been, you know, basically, you know, tamping down expectations of growth. They've done this IMF, World Bank, etc. All of the major groups、uh, down between two and four percent, depending on、uh, which economy you're looking at, whether it's the U.S. or EU.、Uh, in addition to that, they've been pushing up with the expectations of inflation. So. When you're the the economy is growing less than inflation, that's going to obviously affect uh, consumers. Uh, uh, the amounts being paid、uh, to regular people is not going to be enough to cover、uh, the prices.、So、that's going to tamp down demand, especially in areas that are a non-necessity. So it's very very、uh, difficult, and they'll be looking for new solutions in other areas.、Mm, and I know. So when we talk about the inflation, we have to mention the war in Ukraine. But how does it impact the、uh, European economy? Which countries are hit most hardly by the skyrocketing energy prices and food prices? Well, I mean. Uh, uh, EU is rich.、Uh, they can afford to, you know, absorb some of this. So,、uh, what I want to talk about is in terms of energy. For instance,、uh, Germany, Italy, France, Poland, in that order, are the largest volume of, of gas being、uh, imported from Russia. Then, you, but if you start looking at,、uh, you know, the actual amounts coming in, Hungary 
110% of their oil, of their gas is coming from Russia because what that means is they import everything they need plus what they do is they uh, take some of the gas and they uh, refine it or do other things with it and then export it. Uh, hung, uh, Latvia 100%, Finland 92, Estonia 86, Chechnya 86, Slovenia 81, Slovakia to 75%, Bulgaria 72%, Germany 58.9%, Austria 58.6%. In terms of oil, it's basically the same grouping, uh, but you know it goes from anywhere from 20% for Latvia on the low to Slovakia 78.4%, uh, Lithuania 68.8%. So you can't just make a switch, of, you know, the flip, flip a switch and start changing. There's there's no way to get uh, gas to these areas because it would have to come in LNG carriers. And there aren't enough out there uh, to do that. Plus, there's supply bottlenecks. And then in terms of oil, while it can, you know, there can be an offset if India buy more Russian oil, uh, then other oil contracts uh, India and have would not be, uh, for instance, in the lease would be available for others. So that, that can kind of be pushed around, but gas cannot. In terms of food, it's not so much, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for the EU, but it's going to be even worse for the Middle East. Uh, between 60 and 80 uh, percent, depending on uh, the different figures I've heard, for uh, areas like um, Egypt um, and Turkey and things like that, they have bread as a daily staple, and 68% are is imported from uh, Russia and Ukraine. So they are really looking at hard things, and they don't have the kind of money that the Europeans have. So this is going to be, um, you know, very uh, different effect depending on where you are, whether it's food or energy. Mm. And so Ina mentioned food and energy. So, uh, Winston, let's talk about Germany. It is actually the largest economy in Europe. But how will this record high energy prices hurt his manufacturing sector? Well, it will hurt Germany tremendously. You know, Germany is not only just the largest e- economy in Europe, it's the pillar of its st- political and economic stability. And it's not going to be just uh, minor disturbances to the normal you know, business. It's going to be a major uh, disruption to Germany. Germany relies on uh, the Russian energies for a long time. They used to believe that uh, by integrating their economy you know, uh, in a very significant extent, so that they can, you know, bring about peace, bring about this, uh, you know, uh, detente, or all the, you know, possible benefit of uh, economic integra- integration. But that doesn't seem to be happen, and it's all I believe really caught the main surprise. Unlike, you know, France, if you compare Germany and France, the, the France actually is uh, self-reliant, is self sufficient in its energy. It's not depending on on, uh, Russian energy at all. But German economy is very different. So that means that has very serious repercussions because the whole Europe is largely relying on the German financing and the German manufacturing capabilities uh, and the, a lot of the fiscal, you know, helps assistance comes from Germany. German uh, government is actually financing a lot of the less uh, developed areas and the projects, uh, some of the welfares of, uh, of its uh, less developed regions. So if this is German economy is thrown into turmoil, I believe that Europe will be hit hard. 
Mm. So I know we're seeing Germany actually uh, actively、uh, seeking alternative suppliers of energy in the Middle East, and at the same time, is also considering resort to nuclear energy. But will that work? No,、uh, and the reason is because they can't solve it the short term. I mean, to build a nuclear facility, it take you know six to ten years.、Um, to、uh, to get alternative energy would take at least a couple of years.、Uh, for LNG, you're talking at least six seven years before you could actually get the the ships and the facilities. Uh, in there, so right now their problem is the short term, and there is no、um, really easy way. You're just going to continue to see,、uh, you know, these prices go up if they do not、uh, come to some sort of agreement with Russia and turn those、um, those pipelines back on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Watson. So, what about other EU countries like Greece, like Spain, etc.? Because、uh, Spanish inflation hit、uh, a little bit more than nine percent, and another high national inflation rate in the eurozone was in Lithuania. It, this is、uh, more than fifteen percent. So, what happened in these countries? Well, these countries are are hit by the same kind of reasons that、uh, U.S. and uh, Germany uh, are hit for because of.、Uh, You know, disruption of the、uh, supply chain.、Uh, you just have a growing demand, but you are not able to get the same kind of supply. So that demand surge creates the、uh, a lot of the you know price increases, such as the food, such as the、uh, consumer electronics, such as the the energy. You know, all these things are are compounded together. Then on top of that, you have this.、Uh, Uh, the common currency of European Union, which have been keeping the interest rates relatively low for some period of time, that means that you have quite excessive kind of、uh, supply uh, of money into the into the market. All these adding together, you just view it as almost like a flood. It floods everybody,、uh, including the smaller you know countries like like、uh, Spain and Greece. How they are going to, you know, get out of this? I think it's going to be very precarious kind of situation, where you might expect the central bank to raise interest rates to, you know, curb this inflation.、Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, people are already suffering, and、uh, because of the war, because of a lot of the problems,、uh, businesses are actually in a difficult situation. If you tighten them up, then that would make、uh, business a lot more difficult. Maybe more,、uh, a large number of the business will go go out of business, and that will make the situation worse. So I, I think it's a very challenging、uh, situation to to get out of. Mm-hmm. So Anna, so Winston mentioned a very important、uh, problem: the interest rates. So, how likely will the ECB raise the interest rate now? And if so, what will be the possible consequences? Well, I mean, r- right now, if you just look at the numbers, unemployment, manufacturing look pretty good. It's inflation that's、uh, really worrying them. But even more worrisome to them is、uh, rece- an unlooming recession. Uh, not only recession, but the possibility that it could be stagflation or an outright depression. The difference is, with a depression, it's not a you know two or three months of downward growth. It could be two or、uh, one or two years. So they're trying to build up、uh, some ammunition so they can stimulate the con- economy in the future when they think it's necessary. So they're really pushing towards that.、Uh, they've indicated that somewhere in the late summer and fall is the time that they're looking at. But they're going to have to adjust, and this inflation、uh, issue is going to be a big one. 
Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Winston, so do you think or will the eurozone economy head into recession? It's uh, very possible if they are not. Uh, they do not handle it with the care. And it also depends on a lot of the external factors. For example, will the Ukraine or uh, worsen something unexpected happen uh, to that? And the other you know, things like, uh, are we able to contain the food prices going forward, which I really uh, doubt. And that's going to create a lot of problems too. So we, it's, I'm not going to be surprised if we see someday, uh, let's say next winter, and the Europeans will have to burn woods to, you know, get heating and or something similar to that. I think it's not unimaginable to me. Mm-hmm. And so, Aina, so does Europe have other tools to boost the economic activities? Uh, unfortunately, at this time, they really don't. Remember, it's it's separate. It doesn't have even the tools the U.S. does because it's not a fiscal and monetary union. Uh, so they've tried things in the past in terms of open market purchases and things like that to put liquidity into the system, but it's they're very, very, very limited. And you have different countries with uh, different uh, priorities. They don't act in unison. Other uh, other countries, you know, uh, even. Though Poland is now part of the flock, uh, generally they've been going their own way on a number of issues. So uh, it, it's very difficult to see how the EU is going to manage, um, you know, these kind of herding cats uh, issue that they have with their different countries. Mm. So, Winston, what do you think? Does Europe have any new growth point? I, it's very challenging. I don't see it at this moment. Mm-hmm. And do you think the economic sanctions, Winston, or economic fight could be the new major way for countries to settle the disputes in the future? I, I think it's very likely. If you look at the global sentiments, the people, how people react to the situation in Ukraine, it's because of the social media, people can, you know, be much faster to be infected with the, uh, the same kind of sentiment then that can, will create a huge public pressure. And it's very likely that people would call for, you know, economic sanctions, boycotting, you know, almost like a, the, to an extent that unimagined before. So I anticipate this is going to become a normal, new normal, let's say, in the future. So Aina, do you agree with uh, Winston? Yeah, I, I do think that they're going to try them. But I'm, I'm actually hopeful that, um, and I, I don't wish a crisis on anybody, but uh, the fact is we are heading from one. When you asked about a recession, I would say recession is 100% possibility. The, the, the real um, outliers out there is, is stagflation and a depression. So at this juncture, I'm hoping that the, you know, the crisis moment will arrive and then people will understand that they need to work together, uh, not keep pulling apart. Uh, there has to be some sort of unified response. At this point, the especially the wealthy nations have to come together and provide some help. Remember, as difficult as this is for you know Germany and all these countries, the fact is it's going to be even worse for poor countries in Africa, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, and you know even in Latin America. So I mean, while we you know, look at these engines of growth, we have to remember that there's going to be a lot of people suffering who have nothing to do with this conflict between the U.S. and Russia. And so, Winston, so talking about Asian economies, to what extent do you think will all those factors slow down the economies in Asia in the coming months? 
Well, there are many possibilities. For example, one of the challenges is the energy in East Asia, and the Japanese are reconsidering their energy supplies. So all these things will exert tremendous pressure on the current supply chain, on the you know monetary uh, the supply, on the trade relationships between them. So this is really a fragile situation. I, I don't see. Uh, it as uh, as a, a minor deviation from norm. I say this as a, a paradigm shift. Aina,、mm, so what do you think about the Asian economy? For example, Japan, Singapore,、uh, India, etc., etc. Well, I mean, there are very different comparing Singapore to India. Is a, <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit of a stretch. A city state versus、uh, one of the most populous nations on earth.、Um, it's it there. It's going to be a lot of pain.、Uh, right, right now, it looks like India is saying, for their own national interests, they're going to remain neutral on Russia. They're going to continue trade. They're going to try to buy cheap oil,、uh, cheap wheat, whatever is ne- they need to get by. So there, there's some possibilities there that they could continue their growth better than other nations、uh, beaten down by the U.S. into not dealing with Russia or just you know having to、uh, suffer the uh, uh, the current price、uh, increases and things like that. But there are a lot of bright spots also.、Mm-hmm. I mean RCEP、uh, and BRI signal this kind of maybe the globalization is not working the way it should, but regional、uh, compacts are, and I think you're going to see a, a lot of、uh, nations turning to that as a way of getting around these issues. You know, you know, you have South Korea and Japan in the RCEP. Uh, the, these are ways to, you know, not have bilaterals where there are emotional issues. Just deal with it purely in trade, being part of a larger trade block, and I think that's important. The other thing, once again, digital yuan. This is going to be a game changer because it decreases the cost of trading and makes it much easier, especially for small and medium-sized enterprises, which are really the backbone of all of these economies. And that's the part that needs to be grown if there's going to be a healthy economy in all these countries. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Ina Tangen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Winston Wang, an investor and former diplomat. And after a short break, we'll take a look at Twitter names Elon Musk to its board. Stay with us. I am Alka Acharya. I teach at the Jawaharlal Nehru University in India. Today has、uh, organized its. Programs and、uh, a stress on、uh, bringing in a lot of views、uh, from all over. It is an extremely good platform for、uh, information and analysis, and I wish it all success in the future. You're listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Tesla founder and CEO Elon Musk has acquired a nine percent stake in Twitter to become its largest shareholder. Musk is a regular Twitter user with more than eighty million followers. Although recently he said he's giving serious thoughts to building a new social media platform, Twitter said it will offer Elon Musk a seat on its board of directors. So first, Ina Elon Musk has taken a nine point two percent stake in Twitter. It makes him the largest shareholder in the company. What's your first response when you heard this news? And are you surprised by his move? Nothing will surprise me about Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to recall a few months ago he was heavily criticizing uh, uh, to, uh, 
Twitter and saying, oh, this is a terrible company and all this type of thing, and they're, they're, not, <laughs> they're against everything that I stand for. And then, you know, lo and behold, he becomes the largest shareholder. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's um, very mercurial. He's obviously extremely brilliant, but he is not, um, he doesn't play well with others, uh, especially he doesn't think that the rules really apply to him as his uh, constant going back and forth with the SEC demonstrates. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Winston, so are you surprised or how do you describe Elon Musk? He's quite a controversial figure, right? Yeah, he, he is. I uh, am not surprised uh, either, as uh, uh, Ina just said. So, you know, he spent 2.4 billion US dollars, purchased 9% of the stake, and he wants to uh, to make some changes. Mm-hmm. So, Ina, so Twitter offered Elon Musk a seat on his board of directors, but how much power does he actually have and what he might do with it? Well, he's, you know, there's already been a statement by the board that he's going to be treated like any number of the board. He's one person. He has one vote. Uh, remember, uh, being on the board does not mean you do not vote your shares. <laughs> so uh, no matter how many shares he has until he gets to, you know, a significant amount of <clears throat> where he can start naming other uh, mm-hmm. directors, uh, he's just one voice. But he's a very powerful one. He will certainly be uh, pushing his agenda. And uh, I, my guess is that within a few months, you might see some people on the board saying, I've had enough of, of this guy. I'm, I'm going to find some other board to be on. And they, there might be uh, some new board members, not necessarily ones he likes, but p- people who just feel uh, that they'll replace whoever's leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wilson, so he regularly used Twitter to share updates from the companies you know he owns, including the SpaceX and Neuralink. So first, tell us more about SpaceX. What is his uh, uh, initiative to launch this company? Well, Musk revolutionized the rocket launching business. He he dramatically lowered the cost of rocket launching to somewhere like a 3,000 US dollar per kilogram by making the rockets reusable. So what does that mean? I'll give you a comparison. Before SpaceX, uh, China was the most competitive rocket launch service provider with almost like the lowest cost of launching. That cost was somewhere like a 10 US dollar per kilogram. So SpaceX cost is only one third of China's cost. And the result of this uh, competitiveness, SpaceX is going to take uh, two thirds of the global market. And the rest of the business uh, are, are likely you know, to go to uh, China or Asia. So this company, SpaceX, was founded in uh, about 20 years ago by, by Elon Musk to reduce the space transportation costs and eventually uh, to enable the human colonization of Mars. That's the vision of Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. So the the company manufactures Falcon 9, Falcon Heavy, these kind of launching vehicles and the reusable uh, kind of rockets. Mm -hmm. And that's what they do. And they really surprise the world. And they are now having a far you know, more uh, far-reaching kind of impact, uh, far more than what we expected before. Mm, and Aina, so in 2019, SpaceX launched the first uh, 60 satellites of uh, Starlink. And uh, tell us, what are the uh, controversies about uh, Starlink? Well, uh, Starlink, I mean, first off, you have to understand that uh, space is not highly regulated. So people are sending a lot of things into space, but there's no... You know, there's, you don't have to you tell people. Uh, there are 
different observatories of NASA, et cetera, that are tracking space junk and things like that. But when you send up 2,000 smooth Starlink things, you're creating a lot of uh, things floating around up there. Some of them are going to fail. Uh, it's made that way. It's not that every Starlink is going to do exactly what it's supposed to. Some will burn up, some will go out of orbit, whatever. It's just, you know, they say, well, there's plenty, there's enough redundancy so we can get it. But these little pieces of space junk uh, are, are very dangerous. As you recall, uh, the Chinese space station had to maneuver around some of this junk, and they suspect some of it uh, was Starlink. So, yeah, it, there's this, it, once again, there's a need for the world to come together and talk about space in a responsible way about making sure that people who want to send things up uh, are going to dispose of it properly, uh, that know where it's going to be, that they have insurance or some way of removing whatever they put up there uh, in a safe and a responsible manner. Uh, mm-hmm. and right now, that isn't there. But, I mean, the promise of Starlink is very good. I mean, providing a lower-cost uh, Wi-Fi uh, to everybody, uh, that everyone would love that, especially uh, developing nations who don't have the money and the wherewithal to uh, create hard lines. Mm-hmm. And once, so people are more familiar with his company Tesla. And Musk actually saw the valuation of his uh, Tesla car company surpass a market value of one trillion U.S. dollars last autumn. So, how does it make it, especially when facing the pressures from the global supply chain crisis? Well, the global supply chain crisis is impacting everybody. So mm-hmm. he's not. Uh, sort of more impacted by this. And he has actually some uh, advantage because uh, he's not relying like the traditional automakers uh, on the parts suppliers from outside. His, uh, a lot of the parts are made by himself. So that's one thing. I think the, uh, the gigantic kind of valuation of his company mainly comes people's expectation. Then the expectation is uh, he is going to disrupt the whole industry and all those old automakers will be phased out of business the same way that uh, the iPhones faced uh, all the, you know, Nokia's, Ericsson's, uh, these uh, old, you know, generation of uh, uh, the cell phones. Uh, so with that expectation, people believe that he's going to take a, a majority chunk of the current market the, the the market share and that is where the you know trillion dollar valuation comes from mm-hmm. well thanks for both of the two gentlemen and that was uh, winston wang an investor and former diplomat and also Ina tangan senior fellow at the taihe institute and that's all the time we have for this edition of biz today i'm Zhao yang in beijing thank you so much for listening <laughs>